So as I begin today, I want to clarify something I said a few weeks ago. You know, if you, you do this every week, undoubtedly you'll say something you didn't mean or something people will take it differently. And so I won't explain all the context about what went into this saying, but if you were here a few weeks ago, you may remember it, and you may be like, Dylan, why are you bringing this up? But just stick with me for a second. You may remember I made a joke about how I wear the same lucky underwear to preach every week. And then I was like, just kidding, that's weird. Who would do that? And then I made a joke that I don't wear underwear. And then I said I was just kidding again. Well, here's the thing. I've had, no joke, multiple people over the last few weeks say something or joke or say something to the effect about how I don't wear underwear. And I'm like, I don't know if they're joking or like they really didn't get the fact that I was kidding. And so I just want to put your minds at ease. I wear underwear. I'm a normal human being. And you're probably like, Dylan, we actually didn't want to think about that. But I just had to get off my chest. I'm, I'm normal, okay? So... Um, but here, here's what we're doing today. We're doing a two-part series last week and this week, talking about what's next maybe for you, for our church, as we've gone to two services and as more people have come and as we're growing. And, and I want to lay this out from the very beginning, um, as what I said last week as well. Here's my prayer this morning, that you would feel compelled and convicted to take your next step here at New City Church if this is your home. Um, not that you would feel guilted or shamed or coerced to do anything that you don't want to do, but there might be some sort of healthy conviction um, that you would take your next step here at New City Church if this is your home. And what we're doing is we're looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 9. I'll, try, I'll read it again. It's a saying of Jesus that I think causes a lot of confusion, and a lot of people to be like, I don't really know how this uh, applies to me, and that's what we're looking at this week. Last week, we talked about serving and how we can, right where you are without quitting your job, moving across the country, you can make a difference through serving, and we're going to look at the second way that you can make a difference right where you are today, this morning. And it comes from a passage in Matthew chapter 9, and it'll be on the screen. This is Jesus talking, and him and his disciples have been traveling and performing miracles and talking about Jesus and his grace and all that sort of thing, and it says this. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected, like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest." And this is where I think oftentimes we look at this and we're like, I'm not exactly sure what this means for me, right? How is this relevant for me? What, is this, what, is, what am I supposed to do with this? Sometimes, oftentimes, I think what happens is we kind of think of like people in vocational ministry who are paid to do ministry and that's their full-time job. And we're like, well, that's not me. So am I not doing what God has called me to do? So am I somehow less than? And here's what we're working on the assumption. Here's this assumption that we're working on, that God is not calling you into what we typically think of vocational ministry. If you are a follower of Christ, you are in ministry, but he may not be calling you to vocational ministry. And that's my assumption that last week and this week, that in fact, no, he doesn't want you. He wants you to do exactly what you're doing, or he has given you passions and desires uh, to, that he wants you to pursue and that you should not feel guilty guilty for pursuing them. And so if that's the case, what does this mean for me, right? And here's what we want to know. Again, I want you to know that if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, that Jesus, when he says, when he's talking about workers, he's talking about you. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a worker. And so the question then becomes, okay, if I'm a worker, what does it mean? Again, how do I actually do this? How do I fulfill this in some way? And we also said this last week, that when we think something doesn't apply to us, or if we're not sure how something applies to us, then we won't do anything with it. And I gave some examples, and then I ultimately said this. I think sometimes we look at this passage 
maybe how we look at surviving in the wild. Like, none of us really know how to survive in the wild, like if, like, the world came to an end. Like, I don't think any of us would know what to do. And by the way, if the world came to the end and the internet went out, you can't YouTube it. So we would be in a tough situation, right? And so I think a lot of times we're like, well, I don't think that's going to happen, and, and so I'm not going to really learn how to do it. And I think sometimes we think about, we look at this, like surviving in the wild, like we're not really sure how it's applicable to where we are today. And so again, I want to say this as well. I think here's what happens then. So we look at this. We're not sure what it means, but what we think it means is that we're supposed to go and tell people verbally about Jesus and the gospel, which is, yes, that is absolutely part of it. But what happens then becomes we think, well, I haven't shared the gospel with someone in a while, so then I must be a terrible Christian, and we end up feeling really guilty. And I just want to be honest with you. I don't think that this is what this passage is saying. Yes, that may be part of it, or that is part of it if you have time and your opportunity to step out and have a faith conversation. But I do not think this is saying every day of your life you need to tell someone about Jesus. In fact, this week I had dinner with a friend who was in town. He lives out of town. I have prayed for this friend more than I've prayed for anything in my entire life that he would meet Jesus one day. And he is not a Christian. And we had dinner, and I didn't share with him about Jesus at all. Now, I have in the past, and we talked about New City and all the things that were going on, but I didn't bring up any sort of, like, let's have a spiritual discussion. Some people might say, Dylan, you should have, how dare you? But I'll be honest, I don't think that I should have. I don't think, I don't think it would have been really appropriate for what we were talking about, what we were doing. And so I think that this, this is not saying that you need to be talking about Jesus every single second, that he needs to be coming out of your mouth. There are other ways to work and to honor God. And so here's what you want to, I want you, us to know this morning. Again, we said this last week. But you are who Jesus prayed for in this passage. Not somebody else, not your friend, not your coworker. He's praying for you. If you were a follower of Jesus, he was, he's praying that you would be able to work in some way that you would play a part in helping other people meet Jesus. And if you're not sure about this Jesus thing, he's also praying for you because he's praying for people to love you and to come around you and share with you the good news of who Jesus is. And the last thing we said last week before I get into what it means for us today is last week we said this, for us to impact who God has called us to impact, we have to do it together. So if New City Church is your home, or maybe you're interested in making New City Church your home, here's the reality. Uh, when we do things together, we are a lot more effective and make a lot bigger impact, right? You may have heard the saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We also talked about how uh, I don't know if this is the right amount of weight, but like ox or draft horses, when they pull weight, let's say an ox can pull 5,000 pounds, you would then think if you put two ox together that they would then pull 10,000 pounds, but that's actually not true. What will often happen is they'll pull three times, sometimes even more than their weight when they work together. Again, just like them, we can do more together than we can apart. And so last week, we talked about one of the ways that we can take our next step is by serving, about coming together, serving the body of Christ. And when we do that, the kingdom of God expands. So that is one way that you can be a worker without quitting your job, without moving to another continent, without feeling, feeling guilty about pursuing your passions or whatever season of life you find yourself in. You can serve without changing, making any radical change, and you can do what Jesus is saying here. This weekend, we want to share another way that you can do exactly that, what Jesus is saying here, without making some significant life-altering change. And so here's the second way we, beca- we can become a worker, and that's by financially supporting the advancement of the kingdom of God. Financially supporting the advancement of the kingdom of God. Now, let me make two disclaimers real quick, because I think sometimes you might be thinking, oh, he's talking about money. The church always wants to talk about money. It's all they want to hear. So two disclaimers. One, we do talk about money quite often here at New City Church, and I always say this when we talk about it, that I do not care about your money. I'll say it again. I do not, I do not, I do not care about your money. I couldn't care less about your money. But
But what I do care about is your heart, which is why Jesus talks about money and resources more than he talks about anything else, because as we're going to see, what we do with our resources determines the direction of our heart. And so it's a big deal because I care about your heart, so we talk about it a lot. And the second disclaimer I would give to say, no, I'm not just after your money, because if we were really after your money, we would not be talking about money on a, late, on a holiday weekend where a bunch of people are gone, okay? And so if we really wanted it, we would have been a little bit more strategic in that, okay? So this is not about just getting you to give money. This is about our hearts, and this is about supporting the advancement of the kingdom of God so as many people that we can, that God would allow us to impact, we can impact for him. Now, when it comes to money and serving, I think sometimes we think two things or we think one of these things. You may think, I don't have a lot of money and things are really tight, so I'm not going to be financially generous. I'm just going to serve and that's going to be my part. Or you may think, you know, I can make a lot of money and so my part is just to be financially generous. I don't have time to serve. I've got a lot going on. So I'm just going to help and play my part by being generous. Now, let's be honest. Again, if you don't have a lot of money or if you're in a tight situation, maybe you can make a bigger impact by serving. And if you have the gift of generosity and you make a lot of money or however much you make, but you'd like to give, you can make an impact that way. But if you really want to make the biggest impact possible for the kingdom of God, you want to see Jesus move mightily in your life, we will do both of these things. We will make the sacrifices and somehow, some way, both serve and be financially generous. And I want to read a passage in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, you can pull it out or there's a black one around you. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one of those black ones home. That is our gift to you or pull it up on your smartphone. I want to pass, read a passage uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. So this is in the middle of Jesus's longest sermon that we have recorded in the Gospels. And he is talking about money. And before he gets to the money and the resource section, he's basically, the point of the Sermon on the Mount is he's saying, what does it mean to follow God with your heart, to honor God with your life, to follow Jesus? And so he's explaining what does it look like to honor God with your life. And then in verse 19, he says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves break in or, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Two things that are interesting here. One is he talks about one of your motivations for being generous and honoring me with your life should be and can be, and it is okay if it is, for your eternal rewards that you will experience in heaven and then ultimately in the kingdom of God when he recreates the heaven and the earth. You may not know this, but we're saved by grace, so there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves or to earn God's favor. It's all through what Jesus has done for us, but we do see throughout scripture that our experience of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven will be different based on how we honor God in this life. Now, we won't be jealous of one another. There won't be any envy between what someone else is doing and what you might be doing, but we do see that our actions do actually make a difference in the life that we have, the life that we live to come. So he's just basically saying, hey, it's okay to be generous if one of your motivations is to be to make some sort of difference or to lay up more treasures for yourself in heaven, which I just I think that's interesting. But the more thing, more interesting thing that, that's more fascinating for us to know is what he says in verse 21, where he says this: For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. He says your treasure actually dictates your heart. It's not the other way around. I think a lot of times we kind of think, well, especially when it comes to being generous, we think, well, I, I want to be generous, but I can't for X, Y, and Z, but God knows that I want to be. And so if I could, then I would be, so that, that's okay. 
But that's not what he says here. He says, actually, what you do with your finances determines the direction of your heart. It's not the other way around. And in fact, what that means is, as we are generous, it actually turns our heart to to love and trust God more. I make this joke often, but it's true. The fastest way to grow in your relationship with Jesus is to be more generous, because nothing says, God, I'm going to trust you, than trusting him with your resources. And then he kind of continues that point by saying this in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So he's talking about if you can see, that's what he's talking about. So if, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, right? You can see. But if your eye is bad or you can't see, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now, uh, one of the metaphors that they would use in ancient Israel is they would use the heart or the eye to talk about the heart. So kind of the way that we talk about the heart, even how Jesus talked about here, they would also use the eye in that same way. So they're saying basically that if your eye is bad or your heart is bad or your soul is bad, then it will kind of rot from the inside out. And so one of the ways for us to honor God and to continue to put him first and to make sure our heart, or in this case, our eye or our souls are in the right place, is that we are generous. And here's why, verse 24, it says this, no one can serve two masters since either, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Basically, he's saying you cannot serve both God and money. So this is why he talks about it so much is ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to choose. Are we going to trust in the things that we have and things of this earth, or are we going to trust God? That is the question for us this morning. So I just want to ask this. If you do come to New City, and let's say you do give, I just want to ask, want you to think about why do you give what you give, or why do you give at all? Is it because someone told you that you're supposed to? Is it because you're a partner here at New City Church, and so we ask you to help fund the mission if you're a partner here? Is it to honor God and advance His kingdom? I guarantee that's probably part of it for all of us, but is it the main reason, or is it something else? Is it because you've kind of always given, and so you kind of thought, well, that's just what I do, so I keep doing it? Is it out of guilt, like God's going to get mad at you, or maybe because New City is a newer church that, you know, they obviously have a lot of needs, and so if I'm going to be here, I might as well help them out. The question is, why do you give what you give? Because I just want to be honest with you this morning, that you have a role to play, like you actually have a role to play. And on top of that, again, as a newer church, as a smaller church, we do need you. I'll just be honest with you. Again, we're talking about New City Church here and our mission together. We're very tight with our finances. I take, we take it a very, not lightly at all, that you give. And so we want to entrust what you've given to make the biggest impact possible. But as we grow and as our needs expand, so does our needs as a brand new church. And so we have a need and you have a role to play. And what's interesting is last week I shared some stories, if you were here, we were talking about serving. And I shared some stories from people that have come to New City Church that were impacted by the way that they were served. And what's interesting about those stories, what we need to remember about those stories, is those stories weren't just possible because they were, people felt loved and welcome when they came through these doors. Those stories were made possible because New City Church even exists at all, which means if we didn't financially have the money to exist or the resources to exist, we would not be here. And so those, again, it takes serving and generosity to make those things happen. So the question then, again, if you're a follower, I'm speaking more so today to those that follow Jesus and love Jesus, why aren't we more generous than we should be? That, that's the question, right? Why aren't we, when we know we can be more generous, more generous than we should be? And here's why I think it is, and I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think it's because we don't want to be. I think sometimes we're not as generous as we could be 
because we want things to be okay. Or, you know, and I'm not shaming you for that, but maybe, you know, you've got student debt you've got to pay off, or you want to save up to buy something nice, or maybe in case of medical emergency, right? So, and we, and we definitely need to be wise with our resources, no question. But I think sometimes, because in our desire to make sure everything's okay and that we're providing for our family, that we're not being as generous as we could be. So I'll just give you two examples from my life. I know I'm like supposed to be a pastor and love Jesus, and I do love Jesus, but there are things, there are material things that I would love to have. One of the things that I would really love to have is a bigger house. Now, many of you have been to our house. Our house is awesome. Really thankful that God has blessed us with it for the ability to have it. But it is not very open house. It's not very open, like open space-wise. And we love to have people over. And one of my desires for a bigger house is that we could have more people over, do more things, especially if people have kids. They're not sitting on top of each other. Like, that would be great. But it's, my motivation for desiring a bigger house one day is not just purely to, to, to serve people, right? I would love to have an office where I don't hear my kids screaming and running around where I could like actually focus. Like there's just nice things that I want, right? Or I have an older car, which gets me from point A to point B just fine. But it, you know, by car standards, it's older and I would love to have a new one. In fact, Adam, who is on staff here at New City Church, every time he gets into it, he thinks we're going to die because there's always this like random noise that comes or like thing that pops up. In fact, true story, literally last week, he, I, have a, I drive a CRV and he closed the hatch of the CRV in my little H Honda Civil just fell off, right? And so things are falling off, but it works. But I would love to have a newer car. It would be, it would be nicer. My AC, like some cold AC would be good. Like I would love those things. And I bet you have good things for you too. Like maybe again, you're just like, man, I, I want to pay off student debt. That's a great thing. Or I want to provide for my kids. Like my kids have been working really hard. I'd love to get them this thing. I'd love to do these sorts of things. Like a lot of the times we're not, we could be more generous than we are, but it's not necessarily because we're trying to be selfish. We're just losing focus on what is more important. And so the question then is, does acquiring these things, does getting all the things that we want, does that prohibit us from serving God with our money? Now, I'm not saying you need to go and sell your house or sell a car that you can't afford, although I'm not saying you shouldn't if you feel God is leading you in that direction. But the reality is, if we want to support the advancement of the kingdom of God, it will be a sacrifice. And so the things that we want and we desire, if we got all those things, does that prohibit us from playing our part in advancing the kingdom of God? Because again, at the end of the day, this is a sacrifice. And why do we sacrifice? It's not to make God love us anymore or to do the right thing or to earn God's favor. No, we sacrifice in response to what Christ has done for us, that he's given us grace and hope and love and mercy. And it's in response to that sacrifice that we sacrifice so other people can also experience that and so we can continue to love and encourage one another. And so what I want to do is I want to read a couple of quick passages. They'll be on the screen that, again, are talking about the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Galatians chapter 1, it says this, Grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, God, he gave himself to rescue us. Ephesians 5 says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial fragrant offering to God. So he's telling us to be imitators of God that we sacrifice to other, for others so they can experience what we've experienced, the grace and mercy of Jesus. One more, Titus chapter 2 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good work. And so while we wait for Jesus to return, while we wait uh, maybe until we die and see Jesus face to face, whatever happens first, we wait and we sacrifice so that other people can also ultimately uh, experience the grace and love of Jesus. And, and here's the bottom line for this morning, what I want us to walk away with that we see from these passages, and that's this, that because God gave it all for me, I give so others can know he gave it all for them. That's why we do it. Because God gave it all for me, I give so others can know he gave it all for them. Listen, Jesus is life. He is love. He is hope. He is grace. And there is nothing else like it and like him. And what's interesting, if you think about you know, some of your most prized memories and possessions and the things that have been most impactful for you in your life, um, oftentimes, or maybe all the times, it's things that money can't buy. So a couple of weeks ago, I, I talked about how God has, had appeared to me, not in like some weird way where like I physically saw God, I hadn't, but in, in, in ways where things have happened in my life where I say, no man, that was God moving and doing something powerful. Like for example, when my father died when I was 19 years old and to see our church family and those that, that knew us come around us and love us and support us during that time. Like there was a special and even a very difficult, a very sweet time in my life. Or, you know, I talked about my wife that God has given me or my kids or what I get to do at New City Church. Like there's a lot of things that I'm very grateful for and thankful for in my life. And I bet there's things in your life that you are grateful for and thankful for. And what's interesting is that it's not because money bought any of those things. Yes, it is true that money can help. So like maybe you paid for a vacation to Disneyland or whatever. And so that memory was helpful. But by and large, the things that we cherish most in life are not things that we can buy anyway. And so here's what I want you to hear this morning. I want you to work hard. I want you to get promoted, or I want your family to be successful, and I want you to love what you do or the season of life that you're in. And if you hate what you do, I want you to find something that you're passionate about, and I want you to serve God in that. You don't need to feel guilty that God has given you certain passions and desires that aren't what we typically think of as vocational ministry. He's given you, given you those desires for a reason, and you should pursue them, and you shouldn't feel guilty about it. In fact, you should know that God is actually pleased and, and joyful when you do the things that He has created you to do. And I'm reminded of a scene in the movie Chariots of Fire. I don't know if you guys have seen this movie. It's a fascinating movie. It's based on the biography and the life of a guy by the name of Eric Liddell. He was from Scotland, I believe, and he ran in the 1924 Olympics. What's fascinating about him is he actually goes to the Olympics. He was a Christian. It was his conviction that he wasn't supposed to run on the Sabbath day, on the Lord's day, or on Sunday. And so he trains for the 100 meters, qualifies for the 100 meters, and he's either on the boat on the way to the Olympics, which I think were in France that year, or it was right when they landed. He finds out that the 100 meters finals is actually being run on a Sunday. And so he decides he's not going to do it, which made a lot of people mad. But instead, he kind of last minute, uh, they allowed him to, quali- or to run in the 400 meters instead. And everyone was thinking, okay, this guy's not even going to make the finals, let alone medal. Long story short, he actually ends up winning the gold medal in the 400 meters. It's a fascinating story. And then later in his life, uh, he, again, they, his family ran a mission agency in China. He goes to China after the Olympics, gets thrown into an internment camp and a prisoner camp in China during World War II and dies three months before the internment camp is liberated. Makes a huge impact on all the people that he met in this camp. Fascinating story. But there's a part in this movie 
movie, and I'm not sure if this part of the movie actually happened in real life or not. It may or may not have. But what he says in this part of the movie, he did actually say in real life. And it's about a year or two before the 1924 Olympics, and his sister is begging him. His sister's name is Jenny. And Jenny is begging Eric to come with the family, move back to China, stop running, stop wasting your time, because this is more important. We've got to tell people about Jesus. Running is just this fun thing, this hobby that you have. You don't need to spend your time trying to train for the Olympics. We've got more important things to do. And that's kind of interesting, right? Like, how do you tell someone, no, I believe that Jesus is the only way and and the gospel is important, but I'm going to run instead. Like, how do you tell someone no, right? But here's what he says to her, and I think it's important for us to remember, knowing that God has created us to do specific things. And so Jenny's like, don't don't waste your time running. Come to China. This is, you know, this is kind of dumb. This is not fun. Like, you need to do what's important. He grabs his sisters by the arms, and he says, Jenny, Jenny, Jenny. He says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And then he goes on to say, to give, it, to give that up, to give running up, would be to hold him in contempt. He said, you're right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. And so to whatever, whatever you find yourself doing in this seasons of life or whatever dream you have, maybe you want to be the president and CEO of a Fortune 500 company, maybe you're raising your kids, maybe you're a college student, uh, maybe you're in sales, whatever you find yourself doing, whatever you find yourself passionate about, to do it well is to win, and to win is to honor God. Listen, you need to pursue the passions that you're passionate about. You need to do the things that God has called you to do, and you do not need to feel guilty about it. And if you haven't heard, or maybe you have heard, but we often forget that God is actually pleased with you. In Jesus, if you trust in Jesus and what he has done, he's actually pleased in you and what you're doing. And when you do things well, when you do things that give you joy, that he created to make it so that it gave you joy, it actually brings him joy as well. If you have kids or if you don't, you can imagine this. Like when your kids are doing stuff and when they're happy and when they're joyful, that brings you joy. And so God created you with desires and skills and passions for a reason. And to use them is to bring him joy. And it is in our generosity that we show our thankfulness to God. It is in our generosity uh, that we show our thankfulness to God and our desire for as many people as possible that God would allow us to impact, to see other people exceed and experience who he is. Again, because God gave it all for me, I give so others can know he gave it all for them. And you can do this right where you are, pursuing the passions and dreams that you have without quitting your job, without moving to another continent. I know I keep saying that, but I want us to understand this, that God created you with your desires for a reason, and you do not need to feel guilty for pursuing them. Instead, you just need to join in on Jesus' mission right where you are. And one of those ways is financially supporting the kingdom of God. And so I just want to give you a couple of next steps for what this could be for you. Now, again, if you're not sure about this Jesus thing, none of these things apply to you. I just want you to sit back and hang out and listen. Don't fall asleep. But listen, or if you want to take a nap, that's fine too. But if you do love Jesus, I want here, here's the thing. Here's your next step. Again, this is what I'm praying for, that we would take our next step. Here, here's what it might be for you. Your next step might be to give for the first time. And listen, you don't need to feel guilty about that. You don't need to feel shamed about that. Your next step might be for the first time, I'm going to trust God. I'm just going to give something. I'm just going to be generous. And that is a great next step, and I applaud you for it. There's no shame if you've never given before and you want to take that next step. That is your next step, and that is a great next step. Maybe you give every once in a while. Maybe you get a bonus or when you're feeling generous or maybe you're feeling guilty and so you kind of throw something in, give online or give in our giving boxes. Maybe your next step, if that's the case, is for you to, for the first time, uh, build a habit and commit to giving consistently. 
whatever that percentage may be. Now, I would say the New Testament does not say Christians have to give 10%. I think that's a great baseline to shoot for. But if you're giving sporadically, you can't go from every once in a while to giving 10%. Like, that's just not, that's just, that's just not something you're going to do. And that's okay. I would say, man, what's a, what's a consistent percentage that you can start with to give. It's kind of funny because I think sometimes we get motivated to do something and then we set a goal like way outside our reach. Like let's say you go home and you watch the movie Chariots of Fire and you're like, I want to start running and you've never ran in your life and so you sign up to run a marathon. Like you're just, not, that's not going to happen, right? Don't do that. Like you want, what you want to do is you want to set something realistic so you can take steps and achieve it. There's a couple of people here at New City Church that are running a couch to 5K, right? And so what you need to do is you need to run a couch to 5K when it comes to being generous. And the funny thing about the couch to 5K is that it's like an eight-week program, and you end up running a 5K, and the first day of the couch to 5K training program is to rest. Like, it's literally to do nothing, right? That's awesome, right? And that, but that's, hey, if you've never ran before, that is your first step, right? Do something attainable. That's something you can actually do. So your next step may be for the first time to commit to a percentage and give consistently over the next year and see what God does. And if you do give consistently and you do give whatever the percentage might be, ultimately, here's what we know, that God is after our hearts. He desires us to become more like him, to grow closer to him. It's not about checking off a box and saying, I'm done, I've given my percentage, I'm done. No, if we're followers of Jesus and we desire to be more like him, we should be growing in our generosity. So your next step may be, if you are consistent in your generosity, is to say, how over the next six months or the year can I increase this by half a percentage or a percentage of my income, whatever that might be for you? The question is, how can I, now, now that I am consistent, how can I grow in my generosity? That is your next step. Again, it's not about a percentage per se. It's not about checking off the list. It's about our hearts. And as we are growing in our generosity, it is helping our hearts trust in Jesus instead of things of this world. Again, here's why we do this. We do this so that we can help people meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. And as we come together, if New City Church is your home, we do this together because we can make a bigger impact together than we could on our own. And so to be generous is good for our souls, and it's also good for the kingdom. And I just want to say this, too. If you come to New City and you've been here for a while, I do want you to know that New City Church, you guys are a wonderfully generous church. If you look at the stats of what most people per average on churches give, whatever. We are well past that. New City as a new church would not be here. Many of the things that we get to do would not be possible if it was not for your generosity. So I do want you to know that I'm not saying this because I'm like mad about something. No, I'm saying this because Jesus cares about our hearts and you guys have been amazing at that. And that being said, it still might be time for you to take your next step. So thank you for what you've done, but I would encourage you, let's take our next step together. So I want to read one more passage and I'll share a story and then we'll close. And this is in Colossians chapter 1. This is about Jesus, and it says this. It says, He, meaning Jesus, is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. So that Jesus might come to have first place in everything. And so, listen, following Jesus and being generous and serving and all these things are not going to make you wealthy. It's not going to make you healthy. It's not going to make everything, all your wildest dreams come true. The gospel is not honor God and get all the stuff that you want. The gospel is that no matter what may be happening to you in your life, that you get Jesus, that you get God himself, even when things do not go okay, because you know that this is not the end. 
And so one of the ways that we can be thankful and help other people meet Jesus is in our generosity. Uh, when I was in college, I spent a summer in Lebanon in the Middle East, and Lebanon is one of the more stable Middle Eastern countries, and so they actually get a lot of refugees from surrounding Middle Eastern countries. And, uh, and so the last week we were there, we worked with an organization, it was a Christian organization, that helps these refugees that are coming to Lebanon. They have no money, no food, no clothes, no job, and so they help them kind of assimilate into this new culture. They have a thrift store where they sell clothes for like 50 cents a piece just so people can have some dignity to buy something, even though it's really cheap. They do a house calls, they provide meals, they do a lot of amazing things. And we were, when we were there that last week, we would go, with, go to some of these house visits with the people from the organization. We'd hear these fascinating, I mean, amazing stories. We'd pray for them. And what would happen every time we would go to these houses is that these people with nothing, they, would, they value hospitality a lot in Middle Eastern cultures. And so they would bring whatever food or whatever drink they had in their pantry, they would bring it out. And you, and you would be so moved by it, not because what they were giving you was like financially worth a lot, because you know that they were giving from what they had. They were being generous with what they had. And the reason they were doing that is because they valued generosity. And what that means for us is that we're generous because we value the gospel. And we sacrifice, not that we need to like sell your house and, and move onto the street. You, sh- you shouldn't do that. You should definitely take care of the needs that you have and your family. But it, we sacrifice because of our value of the gospel. We sacrifice so that other people can see and experience the goodness of who Jesus is. Again, because God gave it all for me, I give so others can know he gave it all for them. And we just want to play our part in helping whoever God brings through our doors see and experience the goodness and the grace that he gives. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace, for your sacrifice, that you came to make it possible for us to have a relationship with you, to be forgiven of our sin and our shame. God, we we fall short every day. We're all broken people in need of rescuing, and you decided to come, not because we were amazing or because we did anything to deserve it, but simply purely out of your love for us. And my prayer this morning is simply this, that those of us in this room that do know you and do love you, that, God, we would make our commitment to generosity, not for new city's sake or not for us to feel good about ourselves, but simply for us to play our part in the season of life that we're in, whatever we're doing, that we can pursue our passions, that we can pursue our desires, that we can raise our families, that we can do exactly what you have called us to do or pursue the things you might have given us to pursue. And we can still play our part. We can still be a worker. We don't have to be in what we think of as vocational Christian ministry. Instead, we need to understand that all of us are in ministry. It just looks different based on the giftings that you've given us. So I pray for those of us that do know you, that we would take this seriously. We would understand the sacrifice you made. And we would sacrifice for those that may not know you. And if there's anyone in this room that has questions, isn't sure about this whole Jesus thing, God, I pray that they feel loved and accepted, that they know this is a place where they can ask questions, where they can receive grace and forgiveness and hope. And I just pray as a church, as we continue in this next season as a church, that we would always remember to put you first and to remember the gospel and the grace that you have given us. And that would be our motivator for what we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.